what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome in to episode Ochenta y Ocha of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Sabin. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Glisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, boy, oh, fucking boy. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really get, when you talk about, uh, you know, historic uh, significance, it uh, doesn't get much bigger than the one that we ended up getting this week. WCW Bash at the Beach 1996. Ladies and gentlemen, you all know what happened that night. It was the formation of the New World Order. The famous heel turn by Hulk Hogan in the main event. He is the third man. And thus beginning one of the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest angles in the history of pro wrestling. And helping to usher in the last real great huge boom period of pro wrestling in the United States doesn't get much bigger than that, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a lot of good stuff on the show uh, as well, just outside of the big main event angle. Uh, really have been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, Ange? I mean, this is like, we. it's arguable that Bash at the Beach 96 is the biggest moment that isn't matched until the CM Punk pipe bomb in 2012. Like, yeah, there's the merger. Yeah, there's Vince the Owen. CM Punk pipe bomb doesn't come close to mashing this. No, not even because it wasn't a pay-per-view. It wasn't a match. It was just a segment that was like, you know, part of pure pro wrestling because it blended the lines. This one was also perfect because it kind of blended lines. It was genuine intrigue. They kept they played it real close to the vest and it made so much goddamn sense. The storyline that played out and oh, man. This is my first time actually truly experiencing it in its entirety. I have went back to like see the clip of, you know, Hogan dropping the leg on Macho because it's an iconic moment. But like to just experience the match and then the follow up and then the promo that we get from Hulk at the end. Hulk promos always were grating to me. And this one just fucking made so much goddamn sense, partially because everything Hulk did wasn't anything that changed. It was just like, instead of liking the fans and doing all this shit, I hate the fans and I'm doing all this shit. And made just, again, pure pro wrestling at its finest. And then, you know, typical opener that's a banger, cruiserweight that's a banger, and then a lot of stuff where they're just ripping off WWF whole hog that kind of misses the mark. Yeah, but we'll get to that promo. Uh, later on, that Hulk cuts after uh, he drops the leg on Macho Man, reveals that he's the third man. I I feel like people replay the clip, but they don't necessarily always talk about the promo. I think it's the single best promo in the history of pro wrestling. Uh, I, I really do think it, it might be the best promo of all. It, it is so damn good. And again, we, we this is not a pro Hulk Hogan podcast either. No, we are very anti Hulk Hogan on here. <laughs> but you cannot fucking deny that the man had some reached some heights in wrestling that, you, you know, are like almost impossible to attain, really. And think about like the secret reveals that everyone has tried to do since then. It, while there are like a lot of good ones, I, I think of the Royal Rumble as one that they usually do a really good job most of the time of making it a surprise. But like when you weigh in the factor of not only is this a unknown man, not only is it one of the the, the guy of the 90s, Hulk Hogan, 
But the fact that it's a complete betrayal, no one knew ahead of time, it was played off perfectly, and it was built into storyline. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, John Cena, who was injured a few months ago, came back out of nowhere. This is like, well, who is this guy that's going to appear on this team? And everyone has been trying to chase that kind of pop since, and it's so hard to do with... There's more media coverage about it now. Uh, a lot of times with like WWE, they want to market that guy's coming back so they can sell tickets. And I think AEW will do this. Uh, they they kind of do it too. They allude to it ahead of time. But no one knew who that third guy was. No one knew. And that's what made it magical. Fair. Yeah. Um, to be fair, if you were a subscriber of the Wrestling Observer in 1996, Meltzer had reported weeks in advance that it was going to be Hogan. Uh, to be fair, but how many of the people watching <laughs> subscribe to the Wrestling Observer? Exactly, not that many, right? So, also yeah, imagine it, like it, saying that even though the lead in it's Meltzer, but like saying, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be fucking Hogan." Like how hippie, Like I think there's gonna be a twinge of doubt, even though it's coming from Meltzer. Of course, of course. Um, we'll get a little bit more into it, but I think it is the it is the single best surprise moment, you know, in the history of wrestling, and and. People have been trying to, to chase something like that for years, and they've never gotten there. It is a singular moment in wrestling history, the formation of the NWO. Uh, but yeah, we got a lot of other shit on this card, and some really, really good matches on it as well that I really liked, especially this first one. Um, so yeah, sounds like we're about ready to remember some guys, Ange. Let's get to the guys, Dave. Let's remember some fucking guys over here. It is July 7th. 1996 we are at the ocean center in daytona beach florida crowd of 8300 on hand to watch wcw bash at the beach 1996 a show that would prove to be the night that everything changed in professional wrestling we have a uh, three-man booth on the call tony shivani bobby the brain heenan and dusty Rhodes. um we also have mike Tenay show up for the uh, cruiserweight match uh, and the whole storyline is main event, the outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the interlopers from WWF that were trying to take over WCW and their mystery partner, their third man, whose uh, identity as yet unrevealed, taking on the defenders of WCW, uh, Sting, Lex Luger. And uh, fucking Macho Man Randy Savage. I almost forgot who the third guy was. Who's the <laughs> third man, David? Oh, uh, yeah. But that's all later. Right now, we are served up on a plate a one juicy fucking banger of a cruiserweight match between two fantastic young luchadors, Psychosis and Rey Mysterio. This is a 21-year-old Rey Mysterio in one of his first televised matches in the United States. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fucking future of professional wrestling right here. Psychosis uh, is still wearing a mask. He's in his like old gimmick where he had the costume where he looked like Baphomet or something. <laughs> um, but the man could fucking rip it. Um, really good. This again, this match is it's like, well, yeah, it's welcome to the future of pro wrestling here. Like these two guys are like 20 plus. This is, they're giving you a view of what wrestling will be 20 plus years from now. Uh, it's awesome. Um, some very, very good uh, mat wrestling early on. They trade some cool submissions. Um, then they go into the Lucha International spot into uh, 
Ray goes for a springboard moonsault, misses. Psychosis hits a spinning heel kick and huge dive to the outside. Then hits a diving leg drop, hits a leg drop uh, through the ropes. Um, Ray ends up uh, booting him into the air, uh, up into the air, into the post. It hits a Rana off the apron. Hits a beautiful springboard Rana back into the ring for a near fall. Psychosis comes back with some more shit. He hits an inverted DDT. Hits a huge diving senton to the floor. Uh, Ray does this. We're just trading cool fucking moves. Uh, Ray hits a uh, like a cartwheel into a spinning head spizzers. Uh, springboard drop kick hits a Rana off the apron to the floor. Hits a split legged moonsault into the ring for a two count. Um, Ray hits a springboard missile drop kick to the floor and then hits this huge, beautiful, twisting acai moonsault to the outside. Uh, he springboards back into the ring. This was an awesome fucking spot where he springs board back into the ring and then Psychosis catches him out of midair, hits a sit-out powerbomb. Fucking awesome. <laughs> um, Psychosis is moving in for the kill. He hits a running power slam into the corner, gets him up to try and hit Splash Mountain off the top rope. And then one of the coolest finishes I've ever fucking seen in my life. He gets him up to try and hit Splash Mountain off the top rope. Ray counters it out of midair into a Hurricane Rana into the pin. So fucking slick. Uh, Executed perfectly. And Ray gets the pin and wins the match. 15 minutes and 18 seconds. A just fantastic Lucha spot fest. The likes of which... You would not have ever, if you were a, a regular person just watching this shit, you would have never seen anything like this before in your entire life. And you would not see anything like it again for like 20 years. No. <laughs> it's like just so far ahead of its time. It's it's one of the coolest matches you'll ever see. Man, if it wasn't already hot in my apartment, it was. It would certainly be hot after watching this match. Because holy shit, like there's... The, the closest comp I can come is like to any Bucks match where it's just spot, 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 big spot, yeah. flying spot, through the ropes, like just a shit ton of things that are going on all at once at pretty good yeah. pace. Um, it's like watching, it's like watching a really good PWG match from like 2018. <laughs> it's in WCW in 1996. Insanity. Uh, I do love the fact that WCW, whenever they do get, like, guys – obviously, both of these guys are WCW types. But whenever they're talking about, like, l- the luchador style or they're bringing in guys from AAA or they're bringing in guys from New Japan, it, they, they treat it like it's its own thing that they're promoting. They treat it like like it's a promotion, no shit. Uh, like, WCW is more so a platform as opposed to an actual wrestling company. It's not a brand. It is a platform to see these guys. And that w- I always think that's really cool. It really puts those guys over. It sets them apart as being unique. It kind of gives them their own little gimmick in a way. Because they're like, okay, these guys are from the luchador style of wrestlers. They're not always WCW branded, but, like, they're luchadors. And it's fantastic. I always enjoy it. Um, Psychosis, just a madman. It's a good thing he had all that hair because he nearly concussed himself off that guardrail, which was just yeah. a little bit of a scary spot. But that's what makes it special. It's like these matches are always full of like these high danger, high, like, you know, high fuck up potential. And a lot of times it's super smooth. And these guys were just, again, like you said, it's the future of pro wrestling. Psychosis also has a really nice looking leg drop. I know uh, Hogan has the iconic one, but Psychosis is way better. Like I, every Psychosis leg drop that he did in this match just looked perfect. Uh, Ray got into his bag, the Frankensteiner, 
uh, the fake six one nine, the Hurricane run off the apron, the spinning Hurricane run. Like the like they're just flying around. Uh, Heenan said yeah. it best. Again, Bobby Heenan, just an amazing commentator. They haven't been in the ring much. They're just passing through. Like you, selling the match hard as a heel commentator. That's a great thing for Bobby. And then that Splash Mountain counter. Like holy shit, I yelled and yelped when I yeah. saw that because that was just utterly insane athleticism and dexterity on that one. You not only yelled, but you also yelped, Angela. Yes, I did. Yeah, it's this match is just so, so fucking slick from start to finish. They're just absolutely on point, and everything is executed like dead on. Uh, I feel like back then, when you would see guys, you would you would see guys do you know cool athletic stuff sometimes, but like I don't know if it's like. You know, if it was like, you know, for instance, if it's Billy Kidman shooting Star Press or shit like that, like you would see guys do some cool stuff, but it was always executed with a little bit of like, like looks a little sloppy. You know what I mean? Like it always it always feels like a lot of stuff it like just has a little bit of touch of sloppiness to it at times. They're thinking and about it too is, much. There is none of that. here. I mean, these guys are just on fucking point. Uh Two guys that you could, you know, rip out of this time period and drop them, you know, right into wherever you want today. And they would stand out as two of the best. And these guys are just at their best having a fucking banger. And there's a lot of really good Rey Mysterio psychosis matches from the from the mid 90s, especially. This one is my favorite just because of it's like it's it's what it signifies again this is one of Rey Mysterio's first televised matches in the United States uh, a guy that would bring a lot of people into becoming fans of pro wrestling uh, including myself Rey Mysterio was the first guy that hooked me as a pro wrestling fan when I was a kid um, and this is him you know introducing himself and introducing an entire style of wrestling to a, an audience that probably hadn't seen anything like it before. And it's just fucking special. I would love to drop this match in front of people that were big into wrestling during the Bruno San Martino era. And just like watch their heads explode, explode seeing what is possible for the human body to do. And yeah. you mentioned right too. First of all, they mentioned he's a Steiner guy on the on commentary, which you know a guy is great if he likes the Steiners and is a big Steiner guy. 100% hit rate on that one. Uh, secondly, it's also what frustrates me the most about current product WWE is because Ray is essentially treated like a fucking jobber. And it's just, it, I understand he's older. Yeah. I understand he's training his son. But fuck, man, does it feel insulting just to see that guy job out to every Jamoke on that roster? Yeah, it seems like a pretty hopeless fucking, uh, deal when you see, like, yeah, Ray's whole thing is like, uh, yeah, he's feuding with Veer. It's like, no disrespect to Veer, but, like, this is fucking Rey Mysterio you're talking about, bro. Like, I don't know. He's the cover of, like, WWE WWE 2K22, and he's a fucking... <sighs> yeah, that's kind of weird. I don't know if they've got a... I don't know if they've got, like, a Madden cover curse in WWE 2K. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, Rey Mysterio's on the cover, and, like, what the fuck has he done the last, like, three years? Jack shit! Has I removed by Seth Rollins. Yeah, that angle was stupid. <laughs> Fuck. And this is, I mean, this is Rey Mysterio. This guy, this guy is on the fucking Mount Olympus, ladies and gentlemen. And this is, this is one of the best matches of his career. 
This is one of the best matches of his career, and he was doing this when he was, again, 21 years old. This is a, a baby Ray. He's an, a child. He's an infant baby boy. And just out here having a fucking heater with psychosis. And next, something entirely different. Yeah, let's go through. <laughs> okay, so we had, yes, we just watched pro wrestling fast forwarded 25 years, right? <laughs> and now... <laughs> What do we have to follow this? Okay, we have a Carson City Silver Dollar match. While we're okay. in Florida. Well, so yeah, when fucking uh, Bobby Cruz announces like, oh, it's Carson City Silver Dollar match. I'm like, okay, what the fuck is this? And then you see the two guys and I will never disrespect the big boss man. Um Big boss, man, one of my favorite wrestlers of the 80s, but uh, a little past his prime by this point. Um, wrestling under the name Big Bubba, taking on John Tenta, better known as Earthquake, big guy from WWF, late 80s, early 90s. Um, Shockmaster. You fucking huge. That, that was not the Shockmaster. Shockmaster, I believe, was actually a tugboat. Oh, shit, you're right. Fred Ottman? Yeah. Um, yeah, so different similar guy, body like, types, similar genre of guy, um, but yeah, Big Bubba versus John Tenta, and the Carson City Silver Dollar match is there is a sock filled with coins on a pole, and you have to get the pole, or you have to get the coins off the pole, and then I guess you can use it as a weapon. But the weird thing about it is like the. Like, okay, we've done pole matches before, you know, like weapon on a pole, right? Um, You know, Judy Bagwell on a forklift match, you know, all that kind of shit. But how you have these two fucking massive guys and you have the highest fucking pole in the world. That pole is like the the, huge. Carson City Silver Dollars, and I don't know if a Carson what a Carson City Silver Dollar is. They were in Daytona Beach. I don't know what Carson City has to do with it at all. Uh, but that thing is like suspended thirty feet above the fucking ring. It's so big that like you can't get there by climbing up. The, like usually you can climb up the corner and reach up and grab whatever object is on the pole. They have to like unscrew the fucking thing. They're like they're literally trying to unscrew the pole during the match because they can't get it because what John Tenta who's 400 pounds is going to climb up this fucking pole. Yeah. Fuck off. Right. So it's, it's ridiculous. It's just two beefy big boys brawling around. They're going for the sock. They're bumping around. Um, I, I don't understand what's going on. Again, this followed Ray Mysterio and psycho. <laughs> the, it's inside all of us. There are two wolves, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Um, you know, we got some weapons. Shit, we have someone gets whipped with a fucking belt, and we got uh, Tenta gets tied up to the ropes at one point, and, and Bubba whips him with the belt, and then he Tenta pulls out a pair of scissors from somewhere. I don't know where he got it from. He cuts himself out. Um, Bubba stays on the offensive after that. Hits him with a spine buster. Bubba's manager, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Uh, on his behalf, climbs the pole. Does a great job climbing the pole. He's, you know, um, probably did better at climbing the pole than I would have. He's definitely what, like, you know, 
PE class when he was a kid. He had to climb the rope. He absolutely nailed the shit out of that rope. Um, and he gets the sock, but as he is able to acquire the sock full of coins, John Tenta comes back as Jimmy Hart is climbing. He hits uh, Big Bubba with a power slam, and then Jimmy Hart slides down triumphantly, all excited that he's got the bag in his hand. And he turns around and he sees John Tenta. He's like, ah, oh, shit. And John Tenta takes the sack away from him. He hits Bubba with the sock and he knocks him out. And John Tenta gets the pin, wins the match in even nine minutes. And afterwards, he dumps the coins on Big Bubba's lifeless corpse. You know, it makes a lot of sense to follow Rey Mysterio and Psychosis with this match because you can't keep the product 20 years in the future. You have to set it back 20 years as well. And that's what this match did. Uh, just all the things that make wrestling hard to, like, rationalize. Like, Tenta and Bubba are both big dudes. And seeing big dudes hit each other is always fascinating. But they're not like big dudes like Lex Luger's a big dude. They're big dudes with big guts. Uh, not that there's not a place in wrestling for that. But it's also, like, eh, your mileage may vary. They're usually better off with another guy who's a little bit more nimble and not going head-to-head. I talked about it last week. Having two unathletic giants go at each other rarely make a good match. Uh, what was worse, David? Tenta's hair or the match itself? Uh, uh, you know, John Tenta, he was doing this for years. You know, even when he was Earthquake back in the day, he, like, you know, had the had the balding slash long stringy hair, sort of Hogan-style but not quite. I get a little more hair than Hogan. And he had half of it shaved in this one. Yeah. He maintained it for a long time. You know, he was not a not a very uh, fol- uh, follicularly gifted man. Not like uh, me. No. Not like Angelo, motherfucker. You, I mean, listen, a- Angelo, Angelo, Angelo's got a lot of struggles, but the man has got a magnificent head of hair and you have to you have to admire it. But yeah, John Tenta, John Tenta would have killed for Angelo's head of hair. But yeah, you know, yeah. that was just that was just his look. That's at, just how he looked. At the very least, for this match, I'll say this. Jimmy Hart climbing the pole was entertaining as hell. Like that 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 segment of the match where you see Jimmy Hart, this nerd, climb the uh climb this thing with without any support. It, it, it is like a sight to behold. It is like King Kong climbing the tower. Uh, he earned his paycheck that night. I was impressed. I mean, here you, here you have this older guy. You know, he's got to climb this pole. It's pretty high. Like, is, is Jimmy Hart really going to climb this fucking pole? And by God, he did it. He did it pretty well. And I was like, okay, man. You know, hey, he's in good shape, obviously. Good for him. Good for Jimmy Hart. Good for him. You know, he's he's still he's still kicking. He's pretty old. But he's still he's still around, you know. He's obviously obviously doing well. He's 79 years old. Still fucking kicking, man. Respect to Jimmy Hart. I guess he's in better shape than I realized. And I respect him for that. Yeah, this match sucks ass. <laughs> it's fucking dumb. Um, and out of all out of all the Carson City Silver Dollar matches I've ever seen, definitely the worst one. Uh, next up, we have, in preparation for the big main event tonight, we have the Baby Faces defending WCW Luger, Savage, and Sting. They have a promo backstage. They're all wearing the Sting face paint which is cool. And they say, you know, they say, you know, we're, we're representing WCW and we're going to represent it proudly. We're tired of the unknown. We just want to fight. 
big, big main event coming up. Next up, here's another uh, strange gimmick match that didn't get reused. A taped fist match uh, between Diamond Dallas Page, who is at the time, uh, pride of Jersey, still a heel, taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who had a terrible WCW run during the mid-90s, just full of terrible matches, which you could say about his whole career, except he was also not over at this point. Uh, so it's uh, kind of a whole big, big whiff. Heel DDP coming out smoking a fucking massive stogie. Good look for DDP. Coolest guy just, out there. Full on, you know, as a, as a heel, like just full on Jersey trash. Just something that fucking, you know, washed up on the shore of Ocean City. You give you 10 know? feet of space on the boardwalk. Yeah. I mean, this motherfucker, like... It's just pure pure Jersey trash, and we love it. Uh, we love DDP. But yeah, this is a, a taped fist match. They got their fists taped. I don't know what the gimmick explanation, you know, like, yeah, tape their fists. Okay, what, is the tape made out of fucking, uh, like, plaster or something? I don't, I don't know what the deal is here. I'm trying to remember what the fucking old CZW match was called, where, like, in, in storyline, it was like they would, like, you would tape their fists up and then dip it in broken glass or whatever. I, ta- I, I was thinking taped glass, but that might be too too on the nose. They used to do that match in CZW back when that was a thing. I don't remember what it was called. It's like a it like had some stupid name. It was like a Taipei death match or some bullshit. Some some tryhard shit. <laughs> but that would have made more sense than a taped fist match. I, I don't know what what is the tape adding to like your punches. It's tape. Friction, maybe. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It might rub a little skin off their face with the tape. You give them a noogie and it really hurts. I don't know. Um, Hacksaw, uh, his whole career sucked in the ring. Uh, He is, uh, but he's doing his gimmick. Um, DDP ends up uh, tying his legs up with the tape. uh, Beats him up for a little while. Uh, Duggan, DDP is selling absolutely absurdly for his comeback, which was hilarious. He was doing the like, He's punching him in the ropes, and DDP is, like, seesawing back and <laughs> forth in the middle of the ropes. I love that. Um, bunch of sloppy brawling. And then DDP uh, sort of, I, I guess to me it was sort of out of nowhere, but I could only kind of bring myself to half pay attention to this match because it was so boring. Uh, he ends up hitting a diamond cutter through the ropes, uh, and he gets the pin and wins the match in 5 minutes and 39 seconds, a match that is not improved by the gimmick in any way. The gimmick is only kind of tangentially involved. And then afterwards, Duggan gets up, and he's got his fist taped, and he punches him with a taped fist, and he knocks him out. And that's the end of the segment. Hey, man, DDP's cool, and I can't think of a fourth Jersey person other than myself, but that Mount Rushmore is DDP, Shaquille O'Neal, and Peter Dinklage. And that's a pretty powerful... Uh, Mount Rushmore right there. Is Shaq from Jersey? I thought he was from Louisiana. Pretty, no, he went to school at Louisiana, but I'm pretty sure Shaq is from Jersey. I remember reading that growing up. And if it is incorrect, I apologize. But I will claim him anyway. Okay. Here's the deal on Shaq. Was born in Newark. Can claim His him. His dad was a – her stepdad was an army guy. So he moved from Newark when he was a kid. Grew up on military bases and shit, and then went to high school in San Antonio. So he was born in Jersey. Claiming him, I don't know if you would call him a Jersey guy. 
You, you can take the kid out of Jersey. You can't take the Jersey out of kid. South Park taught us this. Well, also, we could use another I think Shaq if match. If you really want someone who is Jersey, we could pay pay some respect to Chris Canyon. Well, a Jersey Canyon's man also up there. Yeah, so Jersey man through and through. Uh, rest in peace. But well, yeah. he's the fourth spot then. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, well, no, is it like fucking dude? It's Jersey. It's Springsteen. Oh yeah, shit. Springsteen jo- is like the official Jersey man. I always forget about Springsteen. I, it, this kid went to school around me. Yeah, it's he's fucking Jersey. It's Jersey, bro. Like the whole the whole thing is he he is Jersey. Look, there's a reason why I don't live in Jersey. It's because I'm not Jersey enough. That's true. You you're definitely at what about fucking Bon Jovi? I was gonna say I was gonna say Bon Jovi, but R.I.P. fell into the Puget Sound. He did. He did die. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, fucking yeah, DDP, a man who just like I love DDP as a baby. Like DDP is like all we all love. We everyone loves DDP, and he's such a he's a great baby face. Was so over as a baby face, real life baby face. We all love him. Uh, But there's just something about him as this just slimy Jersey shit bag. He does it so damn well. You know, because, you know, even though he is, by all accounts, a terrific guy, you know, he's got a little bit of that slimy Jersey shitbag in him. You know what I mean? He's letting a certain part of his personality come to play. And he, he just channels it very well. Uh, there's something about, you know, when he when this motherfucker walks out with the cigar, I'm like, you piece of shit. I freaking hate you so much. Yeah, it's great. DDP's awesome. Um Next up, we have so uh, our one of the bigger matches on the show is uh, the WCW champion, the Giants. He is teaming with Kevin Sullivan to face the Horseman team of Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. And this promo, fuck, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, literally, like they're still doing the fucking Dungeon of Doom. I can't believe they made right? the Dungeon still, Doom World titles. You're still doing the Dungeon Doom. We're about to do the fucking NWO. We're about to start that shit. We're done with the Dungeon of Doom, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're, we're about to get the fucking New World Order going on. Like, no need. We're done with that. I can't. It's I, over. I still, like, again, I just can't believe that the giant character that they portray during this era is world champion. That is, like, I, I, I can't wrap my head around it because it's the freaking Dungeon of Doom. It's Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin Sullivan is directly adjacent to the world title. It makes uh, it mind-blowing. Kevin Sullivan, it's just one of those weird things, man. Like, Kevin Sullivan for that whole, like, like a decade in WCW was, like, in all these fucking big angles and shit. And it's like, I just don't know what he was bringing to the fucking table, but... A creative know? mind backstage, I guess. I've heard he was a nice guy, so he's got that going for him. But shit, man. <sighs> it gets it gets a little better. It gets better for WC. Then it gets way worse, but it does get better uh, for a period. Um, then we got a promo for Benoit and Arn. And goddamn, do I just love listening to Arn Anderson speak? God, I love you Arn know, Anderson. We love Arn, I, I, but I feel like not enough people talk about how awesome a promo he was. I just love listening to that man say words in his voice. She's got love big, it. big dad energy. Big dad energy from Arn Anderson. He's awesome. Also, just um, ve- very weird. Like, this is an extended Benoit promo. I think this is the second one. It, it, it's always weird hearing him talk for, like, multiple sentences. Yeah. This one isn't bad, though, as far as Benoit promos go. 
No. Uh, you know, he kind of delivers in that menacing tone. We started with Arn speaking first. The stipulation, if, if the horsemen win, a, a horseman gets a shot at Giants WCW title. Arn, again, uh, calls out the outsiders. He says, tonight, we're, uh, we're chopping down the Giant. And Benoit, who has been feuding with Sullivan, we had, you know, they, they do mention at one point the uh, the Hall's Canyon match where they were fighting in the bathroom. We'd had that on that show. I actually, my, probably my favorite Kevin Sullivan match of all time. Um, they had been feuding for a while. Uh, this, of course, infamously, we'll, act, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. But Chris Benoit says, tonight we're finishing what we started. I'm leaving you for dead, Kevin Sullivan. Tonight the horseman will reign supreme. We have got another gimmick match coming up. Another another kind of unique gimmick match that doesn't really work. A tag team dog collar match. Very, like, you know, I've seen some really good dog collar matches. Of course, we all have. Most recently, CM Punk and MJF. That was great. But a tag team dog collar match? With these guys? Yeah, with these guys, it is the public enemy. Uh, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge taking on the Nasty Boys, uh, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags, like basically four identical white men. Um, <laughs> so you have two pairs of uh, dog collars. Each guy is connected to another guy, um, which they should have done. Is some they, they should have designed some cool like type of four way collar that would have been really interesting. But no, you have two separate sets of dog collars. Um, and this match is really not fun to watch at all. I mean, they it's it's a false can anywhere match. They use a bunch they do a bunch of weapons. They they actually do some interesting stuff, some kind of fun. You know, I like when you explore the space, do some creative shit. That's that's all I ever asked for out of false can anywhere. I've said it a million times on this uh, show. But um, it's physically hard to watch because they do the split screen the entire match. And their split screen that they do in WSW, and we have seen this before, uh, that they did at the time, was like, like each screen only occupies like 20% of the fucking like actual area of the TV picture. So like you can't see shit. So this is a tough match to watch. But they do do some shit. Um, they're fighting in the sand on the Bash at the Beach stage. At one point, uh, someone uses an inflatable shark as a weapon. <laughs> he, like, hits him with an inflatable shark, and the guy sells for it, which is so funny. Um, we get a surfboard used as a weapon. We get a life preserver used as a weapon. I'm all I'm all for this. Uh, we get some unprojected chair shots uh, for the face. Uh, we get some chain whipping going on at one point. Uh, we got some, some more ladder. We had a ladder spot. We had Rocco Rock doing a senton off a ladder. Uh, Johnny Grunge Bulldog is a guy into a chair. Uh, but I, I can never remember which nasty boy was which, but the blonde one, who I think was Brian Nobbs. So, uh, um, yes, because he had the match. He, yes, it was Nobbs because Nobbs squashed three count for the hardcore title. Yeah, you're right. It was Brian Nobbs. I always have trouble remembering which nasty boy is which, uh, cause they suck. Uh, but yeah, uh, he's nasty boy. Nasty boy one is fucking murdering Johnny Grunge with a fucking chair. Um, J- uh, Jerry Sags hits a pile driver on the floor. Um, we have the word. So like 
we have one of like the like the only times I've ever seen someone go through a table, and I thought it was lame. The uh, the spot where Rocco Rock jumps off the barricade and puts Jerry Sags to the table that was already like, breaking. Yeah, the ch- the table's already breaking, and he had, like it's no elevation on this dive because like the barricade and the table, the table sit up on the ramp. The barricade and the ramp are like completely even, so there's no like elevation that he's going through. He's sort of like just sort of like horizontally like plops over onto Jerry Sags. It's like the worst table break spot I've ever seen. Uh, it just isn't interesting. Um, we end up back in the ring. Um, <laughs> they found one of those Japanese tables that doesn't break. <laughs> um, the table, the table is going into business for itself. Um, fucking, um, yeah, this table, like they try to put Rocco rock through this table twice and it doesn't break either time. And at this point, the match, which to this point, had had some like fun weapon spots and shit in it, it was actually kind of watchable, is like, it just is completely out of steam. Like, they just completely lose all momentum uh, after like this table does not break. They stand around for a little while and kind of sloppily, bra- sloppily brawl. And then um, the finish of the match, uh, Jerry Sags clotheslines Rocco Rock like with the chain. And he gets the pin and wins the match. Kind of a flat finish after, you know, they did all this wacky shit. Um, uh, Nasty Boys win in 11 minutes and 25 seconds. And uh, we have a, uh, a brawl afterwards because you're required to. This shit sucked. It was oh my. fun for five minutes. It was not fun. I, I did not enjoy it at all because any part I that was fun. had an okay time. For about five minutes. No, I'm go. I'm doubling down. I'm doing the Jake Long thing. This shit sucked. There was nothing redeemable about it. The only thing that was good or entertaining was the table that didn't break. The table was the star of the match. You cannot tell me otherwise. That table went over hard in that match. I, I just sucked. Like from like it was so bad. Like first of all. I never understood consciously using less than the maximum amount of screen you could use for split screen. It makes no goddamn sense to use that little of a screen. Like, yes, you're going to have problems. You can't do a perfect, like, split screen. Whenever you try and do split screen with video games, it always looks weird unless you cut off some dead zones. Fine. I'm okay with dead zones. But when 80% of the fucking screen is a dead zone, why am I watching this? Why am I sitting here for 10 minutes watching this garbage? If you're gonna do if you're gonna do the split screen, I feel like you gotta do just full Mario Kart style, where it is split right down the middle. There's nothing, you know. There's there's no additional shit on the screen. Half your screen is uh, fucking Jerry Sags fighting Rocco Rock, and the other half of it is Brian Knobs fighting fucking Johnny Grunge, and that like that is all you see. There's no other extra bullshit, and it's like, hey, if it's confusing and tough to follow, well. That's your fault for booking a tag team dog collar match. <laughs> or do the thing that AEW does now with, and WWE does now with the picture in picture. The way they have that set up now with a big screen with a small screen next to it makes sense. At least now I have something to focus on and there's something going on on the other screen where I could look back and be like, okay, I wonder what's happening here. I could just kind of casually glance at that one. But to have two same sized tiny screens for this pay-per-view, this is something that people are paying for is stupid. It's a shitty yeah. experience. I can't imagine anyone watching at home got any enjoyment from watching it this way. Um, the work rate in this match, yeah, you have a bunch of weapon spots, but any idiot can go out and do weapon spots. 
whether it kills you or not is another thing. But like any idiot can go out and do weapon spots and hurt people. Uh, this work rate looks like one of those gender reveal stage matches that anyone puts on. <laughs> they should they should have brought the Walmart guys in and had them do in uh, uh, like Canadian destroyers to each other. And then like once the match ended, I'm like, thank God it's over. And then they continued brawling. I'm like, no, stop, let it end, please. It was awful. I hated everything about it. Listen, I, I, I've said this before, touched on it already. One of the things I enjoy in a hardcore match like this is when you do some wacky shit, uh, at least like differentiate, because we've all seen a hundred fucking chair shots. We've all seen people go through tables. We've all seen people jump off ladders. It's usually cool, but you know, what, what am I going to do to remember your match, right? I, someone using an inflatable dolphin or whatever the fuck is a weapon. Hey, man, at least it's something new. I don't complain about that. I Like I said, I thought it... I actually had the split-screen bullshit aside and somewhat entertaining. I was somewhat entertained by the first few minutes of this match. And then, like, around the time they started having trouble with the fucking tables, uh, the first... I mean, the first one being the, the really shitty, like, uh, one with Jerry Sags on the ramp. Uh, then it completely ran out of steam. And I was like, okay, now this really has no, no redeeming qualities to it. But I, like I said, I actually kind of enjoyed it for about a few minutes. And David, it's okay to be wrong. I've never been wrong before. Uh, but yeah, this match goes on for a while. Uh, so, but it's finally over. Tag team dog collar match. Listen, dog collar matches, you know, I've seen some fucking great ones. A tag team dog collar match? I don't know. It's just a little too complicated. Uh, next up. We got Mean Gene. Mean Gene's trying to find out who the third man is. I don't know. Who, who is it? Who could it be? Who could it be? I think it's Viscera. I think it's King Mabel. <laughs> King Mabel's here. Um, who knows? Who knows who it might be? Uh, next up, the so we have this instant classic Rey Mysterio uh, psychosis match. But that's not actually for the Cruiserweight title. We have a separate Cruiserweight title match. And oh, so... It, you know, it's the champion, Iceman Dean Malenko, one of the finest technical wrestlers of his time. So, who are they going to have out there to follow up this classic between Ray and uh, Ray and Psychosis? You know, who who could possibly challenge Malenko to, to live up to that? Jericho? Uh, fucking, you know, who, could they get super crazy in here? Movie? Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon? Maybe Jushin Liger? No, baby! It's Disco Inferno! We've got Disco. It's Disco fucking time. Um, Disco comes down here. I, You know, Disco has been catching a lot of heat on social media recently because he's a piece of shit. Uh, but also, like, this is also, I, I will say this, one of the better Disco matches I've seen. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that he's with Dean Malenko, who is, a, you know, one of the finest technical wrestlers who ever lived. But, you know, Malenko does get a... a Pretty good match, I would say, relatively out of Disco. Uh, doesn't doesn't follow Ray and Psychosis in any way, but it's watchable. Uh, Disco comes out, um, just cuts some really shitty promo that I do not fucking care about. And then, you know, the Iceman walks down to the ring and just starts be- beating Disco's fucking ass. Like, the first half of this match, pl- like, a lot of this match, actually, uh, plurality of this match, is Disco getting his ass beat by Dean Malenko. Uh, Dean hits a leg lariat, hits a huge brain buster, cyto suplex, 
a bunch of near falls in the first part of this match. Uh, Disco fires back, hits a flak jab onto the top rope and a leg sweep for a near fall, but then Dean regains control, has him in an arm bar for a while, hits a springboard leg drop. Uh, Disco goes, or he goes for another top rope move, but Disco blocks it, hits a neck breaker, but then Malenko cuts him off again, hits a springboard drop kick, and then, uh, love the finish, double underhook powerbomb transition beautifully into Texas Cloverleaf, and Dean Malenko retains the title 12 minutes and 4 seconds. It was a match where, very clearly, Disco is outgunned in this match against a superior wrestler, but does a good job as sort of like, you know, sort of a fighting underdog, a babyface type of way against a guy who was just way better than he was. A pretty watchable match, I would say. Now, this is a noted anti-Disco Inferno podcast. We will all say this. I, I personally do not like Disco. Disco, to me, is every negative thing I heard about Jeff Jarrett growing up is actually just Disco Inferno. Jarrett himself is fine, but Disco is just grading in a way that is not redeemable. He has no redeemable qualities. Every time he's on my screen, I want him to get off. To the point where in my notes I have, Malenko, murder this man. I want to see Malenko kick the shit out of him. And I was having a great time for the first six minutes. And then they have the Disco comeback. And Disco, you know, has some moments. The match kind of flows. It's pretty, like, well done. And they get to the point where I'm like, holy shit, they're going to have Disco win this match. I wasn't looking at the results at the time, and I haven't watched this match before. So they get me there. And then you have, like, a good near fall with the Texas Cloverleaf attempt where I thought that absolutely Disco was going to win the match on the uh, on the inside cradle. But he doesn't. Dean Malenko goes on to win. And they told a great story throughout. And, you know, Malenko's great, but Disco, you know, carried his weight. And yeah, I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck, I appreciate Disco for this match. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, this, it's the story of um, – Malenko, who isn't really a heel, he's just Dean Malenko. He's just the fucking, you know, the he's the Iceman. He's the just the merciless motherfucker who's here to wrestle and beat you up. Um, and we get and, and uh, Disco, who is Disco, is again he's the kind of the fighting underdog babyface here against a guy who is just superior to him in the ring in every way. Um, you know, and, and he, you know, he gives a gutsy performance in the match, and you know. He, makes you believe a couple times like hey if you if you didn't know any better you might believe hey he might be able to pull this one off um it's a, it's a good match i mean dean malenko really really does put a shift in to carry disco to a good match um and you know that's about all you can say it's 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 an effective story it's not like a fucking five-star banger or anything it's a solid match it exceeded expectations considering it was also disco inferno yes not enough disco slander possible on this podcast. Although, you know, disco, disco, like, you, I, like the last time I saw disco, he was doing some funny shit with uh, uh, Johnny Swinger on uh, Impact. Uh, but Johnny Swinger could have, do funny shit with anybody because he's the funniest man in all of wrestling. So uh, disco getting carried even there. Next up, here is just a fucking random match, ladies and gentlemen, right? Like, I don't even know what the fuck this is doing here, but it's here. <laughs> uh, Bash at the Beach 1996. Here is uh, the Desperado Joe Gomez, 
who is just some guy. Definition of a guy. Never heard this of him before a, this. This is just a fu- I, I had no idea who the fuck this guy was. <laughs> I mean, that's saying something. Like, because I remember all kinds of fucking guys. I had no idea who the fuck jo- the Desperado Joe Gomez is. His own entrance and everything. And he's facing our boy Mongo. Oh, we love us some Mongo. Steve McMichael. Um, he comes out with uh, his wife, Deborah. Uh, Deborah's got this little tiny dog, like a little, like, kind of toy poodle type dog, uh, with her. Um, and this match is, I mean, these are just two green motherfuckers, right? Like, this is just, like, a very, like, low-level match, you know? Between, Mongo is still pretty new to wrestling and never really got good at it. And just some kind of jobber-level dude. Uh, and they're just having a match that is bad. It's very basic stuff that's kind of executed in a mediocre way. Um, like, it's like the opener on an indie show, you know what I mean? Like, just like kind of a regular indie show. Uh, but it's on WCW pay-per-view. Crowd is completely silent uh, the whole time. Uh, we have Mongo beats him up for most of the match, gets him in a sleeper. Gomez drops him into a jawbreaker. Uh, Mongo comes back, gets a neckbreaker for a near fall. Goes for a figure four leg lock. Gomez reverses him into a small package for a uh, two count. Mongo goes for a power bomb. Gomez reverses it into a back body drop. Gomez gets his comeback to no reaction. Hits a couple of the shittiest looking drop kits I've seen in a while. Uh, which is, you know, like drop kick is one of those moves that you need to like, if you're going to do it, it needs to look good. Which is why I don't do them because <laughs> I suck at them. That's why you'll never see me doing a dropkick in my life. Safe and sound, feet on the ground. Feet on the fucking ground, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But eventually, Mongo... I did sort of like the finish a little bit. Um, Like, Mongo kind of catches him coming off the ropes. Sort of like... um, Like, kind of comes in like he... uh, Like, Gomez sort of comes in like he's going to go for the head scissors. And then, as he goes up, and he kind of hits that point where you're where you're parallel up and down. Mongo just catches him, Tombstone Pile Driver. Kind of a neat little reversal, I thought. And he gets the pin in six minutes and forty-four seconds. Match that was probably about four to five minutes too long. Um, and uh, only match, uh, you know, we we have a, a, another match. Uh, negative half star from uh, Dave Meltzer. So this is, you know, we had a lot of WCW ones where he had multiple. Negative matches. It's the only one that's that goes negative here on Bash the Beach '96. It's a little harsh. Like, is it good? No. Is there anything that I could yeah. write home about? No. But like, it's like, it's a match. Like, it definitely a is a wrestling match. It's a match between two guys who are, I think, quite clearly very green. Yeah, and like Mongo oh, has, I don't know. Mongo has moments where it's not bad for a new guy. It's just like there is nothing. Like, no heat for this match. No one cares. Like, Mongo's cool in the way that he's a former football player, but that's not going to get enough heat for a match. That's not like... You could do this kind of match with Wardlow and a guy who isn't a Joe Gomez type, but, like, someone that's not a tier below a title contender but not quite jobber. You could do that with Wardlow. Like, like I would watch Wardlow Mark Sterling on a pay-per-view. That would be fine. Just watch him powerbomb the shit out of him. Are you comparing... 
Are you making a Wardlow Mongo comparison right now? Is that where you're going with this? In type, yes. They're not similar in any way other than like they're both big, big muscle guys who are. They're both large. Yes. (laughs) This is this isn't like me saying, "Oh, so and so is like the so and so of this era." No, this is just like comparing big athletic guy to big athletic guy. We're saying Mongo is like Wardlow, except without the athleticism, the wrestling ability. Uh, the charisma, the chiseled jawline. Mongo, <laughs> Mon- Mon- all those things. Mongo is Wardlow without the Wardlow. Yeah, he's just. So you're, you're what you're saying is that he's just a completely separate large white man. Yes, but like in, in terms of like booking it, but you're gonna like he's the same type of wrestler as Wardlow, just without the Wardlow. Uh, I know this makes sense, but anyway, uh, like I just I just hope Mongo. Yeah. Is doing all right, given that giving ALS all it can handle. Yes. Yeah, so yes, much, much, uh, all the best wishes to Mongo as he battles ALS. I mean, fuck, that shit's terrible. The one thing, the one thing that you can positively say about Mongo, and again, like, match is kind of bad, but he was very, very green at the time. He took the business so, like, seriously. Yeah, if he was gonna go out there and have a heater, then like, fucking okay, like that would. You know, it makes more sense that he's going to have a match like this at that point of his career, right? Um, especially against a pretty low-level opponent. But um, I always thought that Mongo had a presence about him as a heel. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, did the mannerisms well. You know, was good at, like, talking shit while he was healing it up. Kind of had some of that stuff down pretty well, even for a guy that was, like, very, very, like... That was something that I feel like he kind of had naturally, like, when he got into it. So at least he was bringing some stuff to the table. Just he never really got past the point in the ring where he, like, could ever have a good match with anyone. Yep. But, all the, again, all, all of our best wishes to Mongo as he battles ALS. Wouldn't wish that on fucking anybody. Uh, hey, you know what's going to make this pay-per-view better? I got I got you some mean gene, and he's horny, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we, yes, we he that. is. We love this. Uh, next up, we have a U.S. title match between champion Conan and Ric Flair. And we have a Ric Flair promo before the match. Um, and a lot of this. So Ric Flair at the time has got two ladies with him. He has Miss Elizabeth, um, formerly, of course, with Macho Man Randy Savage. And woman, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, a.k.a. Uh, rest in peace. Um but uh, <laughs> woman is like uh, just like hitting on me and Gene the whole time. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, just, you know, beside like, himself, getting horny. Like he's like getting horny, but he's trying not to be horny. It's just very uncomfortable to watch. I just, I don't want to watch this promo. Um, and then in between, there's a Ric Flair promo where he's yelling. Where he, <laughs> he sings La Cucaracha. Because I guess Conan is Mexican, even though he's not actually Mexican. Um, and then he says, you know, they say that you're a man of a thousand holds. It's like, that's actually a different guy, Ric Flair. Uh, he actually already wrestled tonight. Uh, and he says, say you're a man with a thousand holds. But tonight, uh, you're going to meet a man with unlimited knowledge of this sport. Dirtiest player in the game. Nature boy, Ric Flair. Um... Yeah, very uncomfortable stuff. I want uh, I, I I don't want Mean Gene to to ever be horny. 
Uh, yeah, it's terrible. He should be a eunuch. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, Conan and Flair go straight into the match. Conan wearing a big jacket that looks like a fucking, like, uh, like one of those, like, uh, it's kind of like a Matador-type jacket, but it's got the triple, it's got a big triple-A logo on it. The triple-A and uh, WCW had a work relationship, of course, for a long time. That's how they got all those luchadors. And we thank them very much for it. Uh, this is a, it's a match. It's fine. Um, it, they, they, they build it up pretty slow. Conan out wrestling him, putting him in some different holds. Puts him in the surfboard. Uh, hits him with a gorilla press slam. I know you're a big gorilla press slam guy. Oh, Andrew. yes, I am. Get one from Conan here. Um, they end up on the floor. Conan, this was a kind of a weird little spot. He does a dive off the apron where he definitely hits Miss Elizabeth as well as uh, Flair, but it definitely wasn't planned because Miss Elizabeth doesn't sell it at all. She gets up right away. Um, so, like, she definitely, like, inadvertently ended up in the line of fire on that uh, kind of a rolling senton by a Conan off the apron. Um, he then goes up to the top rope, teasing a big dive onto Conan, but woman who woman does a lot of fucking stuff on the outside in this match. She shakes the rope and Conan falls off into the ring. And then Rick is able to work him over and get the heat. We get, again, we get some distraction spots. Uh, Rick, Rick Flair distracts the ref as woman gets in and boots Conan right in the nutsack, right in the middle of the ring. And she, she's, she bites him at one point on the outside. Uh, Conan fires back. Conan does the uh, 10 punches in the corner, and then when he jumps off, we get a picturesque flare flop here from Ric Flair. As good a flare flop as you'll ever see. Perfectly executed. Um, does a springboard dropkick to the floor. Um, we get the exact same uh, figure four small package reversal that we just got in the Joe Gomez Mongo match that also happens here um, for a two count. Then Conan locks in a figure four of his own on Ric Flair. Uh, works it over, but Rick's able to get to the rope. Uh, Conan hits a, uh, throws him off the top rope, hits a running bulldog, hits a forward roll into a clothesline. He has Flair rolled up for the pin, but the referee counts late because Elizabeth is able to distract the ref. Um, and then uh, Flair hits him with a backbreaker. And then while the referee is turned around, Woman hits Conan with the uh, the business end of one of her high heels. And then that ends up being the finish. Flair, right after the uh, high heel shot, gets the pin with his feet on the ropes. And Ric Flair is the new United States Heavyweight Champion in 15 minutes and 39 seconds. First of all, how good do you have to be at what you do to just go by a woman? Like, Yeah, literally just woman. You, you say woman in wrestling and everyone knows who you're talking about. And, like, you saw a lot of why in this match. Like, she is a great manager. Like, fantastic in playing her role. Um, I think, like, kind of like Vega when during the Andrade run, like, how she would get involved with the matches. Kind of like that same level of tact. Like, it doesn't feel overdone. It feels like the just perfect amount every time. Uh, but this was a good match. I mean, Flair being the legend that he is, even in 1996, taking on Conan, a guy who Conan, a guy who doesn't really, he's not mainstream yet. Like he still kind of feels much like how I described like the uh, Luchador matches. He still kind of feels like he's not a WCW guy. He still feels more like a Lucha Libre guy, uh, even though he is a more of a power dude. 
I mean, uh, he's literally coming out with the different company's exactly. logo on his uh, gear. Yeah. So, like, this was a match, in my eyes, that kind of, like, legit- legitimized uh, Conan, even though he lost, as, like, a WCW star. Uh, it does suck that he doesn't go over here. I mean, that would have gone uh, even farther to kind of get a, getting a win over Flair is always good for your cred. Uh, the military press, obviously, I will always pop for military press. I think it's one of the most impressive moves in all of wrestling. Uh, I, I will say, shoot, I lost my train of thought. But, you know, this was a good match. This was a very solid match with a, like, you know, it has, a you know, the established guy, Ric Flair and Conan. Uh, but with Flair, and I've come back to it now, it is funny because you always hear growing up about Flair. Like, this was a guy who carried wrestling companies back in the day. And you're in my head, I'm like, oh, so Flair had all these great, great, great matches. And he does. But it's yeah. amazing how little he actually does in these matches, too, that make yeah. these matches great. It's just like, Flair doesn't really do anything. He doesn't have a lot, like, a wide pool of variable offense. It's just cheating where he can and selling like hell. And it's just, man, yes. Ric Flair, God bless you. Yeah, really is. I mean, this is a, a typical example of your classic Ric Flair match where he goes up against a babyface and makes the babyface look strong and puts them over while still winning. You know, he does that for Conan because Conan looks looks like he is at or above Ric Flair's level at every point of this match. But Ric Flair is just, he's the dirtiest player in the fucking game, ladies and gentlemen, and he finds a way every single time. And that's just, it's just your classic, really typical version of that match. I mean, he does all of the same sorry beats that you're used to when you've watched enough of these Ric Flair matches. And it just somehow ends up being effective every single time. You know, Conan comes out looking good, but Ric Flair is Ric Flair. And he wins, and you know, he's styling and profiling, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! It's great. One of the, one of the all-timers, Ric Flair, and now he's your U.S. champ. I mean, you want to el- you want to elevate a mid card belt? You give it to somebody like Ric Flair. Shit, I re- remember when I was a kid and he was the Intercontinental Champ. Intercontinental Championship felt a little bit more important when it was around the waist. Somebody like Ric Flair. Yes, it did. Even when he was old as hell, which he was and tw- at the time <laughs> in two thousand five. Uh, but yeah, never gonna never going to you know, dispute the booking decision to put a belt on Ric Flair. No, no. How can you? It's Ric Flair. Again, not like an all-time bang. It's, you know, it's not one of his matches with Steamboat or anything, but a perfectly effective match. Perfectly effective match. It made sense. Yes. Made sense. Tells a story. And even though Conan loses, he still looks strong. As you're, as you're putting over a kind of a, a younger rising baby face here. Two matches left, but first we flash back to Mean Gene. A little more teasing on the main event. He thinks he's caught a little bit of the third man's voice. Can't quite make it out, but I don't know. It sounds familiar to him. He just can't place it. He can't place who the third man is, but he ah, it's somewhere it, he's it's right there it's on the tip of his tongue he can't tell who it's it is someone that we know someone that we know is the third man were you tired of the bischoff discourse too because that was the overarching story i just could not give a shit about and they kept, he did not shut the fuck up so okay yes they kicked bischoff's ass the last pay-per-view but at the same time who 
fucking cares about Eric Bischoff? <laughs> oh no, they beat up Eric Bischoff. What's the update on Bischoff? I don't care about I Bischoff. I don't care about Bischoff. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit about Bischoff. I want to know who the third guy is. <laughs> like, that's that's like if I'm if I'm watching that, I'm like, okay, get to the fucking point here. I don't give a shit about this fucking this fucking loser Bischoff. Summit about what's your point in any time. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're all, like, you have to know why we're tuning in here, you know? For so, Bischoff. We're, yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, two matches left. We've got the uh, tag team match coming up. The aforementioned uh, Horseman versus Dungeon of Doom match. Arn and Benoit hit the ring, but as they come down the ramp, they are attacked from behind by Sullivan and the Giants. We are right off to the races. Mongo McMichael, fellow Four Horsemen member, uh, puts in a shift for his boys. He sh- he shows up, hits the Giant with a briefcase, and then the Giant chases him to the back as Benoit and Arn get the numbers game going on Kevin Sullivan. They stomp him down two-on-one. Um, and the match ends up starting with just Kevin Sullivan in the ring. And then, very quickly, the Giant makes his way back down. But Arn and Benoit are already off to a hot start. And they two-on-one on Kevin Sullivan for a while. Um, they beat up Kevin Sullivan for really most of this match. Um, Sullivan finally comes back, hits like, uh, one of the worst monkey flips I've ever seen in my life. And then hits one of the worst backdrop suplexes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he finally tags in the giant. Uh, the giant's hot tag is terrible because he tags in and then everyone like immediately runs away from him. So he gets his hot tag. And he's like, oh, shit, I guess I have to power walk out of the ring to get to Lake Benoit. Eventually, Giant uh, beats up Arn. Uh, we go back to the split screen. Thank God we're back to the fucking split screen here. I can I can catch, like, glimpses of uh, the Giant uh, getting his comeback on Arn now. As Sullivan and Benoit brawl around the stage, uh, eventually, Giant hits the choke slam on Arn. He gets the pin, and the Giant and Kevin Sullivan win the match. Seven minutes and 59 seconds. But some more stuff happening after the match. Benoit and Sullivan continue to fight in the sand on the stage. Eventually, they fight their way back to the ring. But Benoit has sand all over him. Hits a back superplex on Kevin Sullivan in the ring. Continues to beat Kevin Sullivan's ass. And then, woman comes out. Of course, woman. Nancy Sullivan. Wife of Kevin Sullivan. um, In real life. She comes in and just is begging Chris Benoit to stop killing her husband. Um, then eventually the giant comes back down to the ring and chases Benoit off. Of course, this is a start of the angle in which Kevin Sullivan would infamously wind up booking his own divorce <laughs> because he, you know, booked Chris Benoit in storyline to like steal his wife from him. And then he did it in real life too. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah. And then the giant, like, hoists Kevin Sullivan. I don't know if I said it. He hoists Kevin Sullivan up on his shoulder and literally carries this man to the back like a sack of fucking shit on his hoisted over his shoulder. Yeah, not a work rate classic by any means. Just brawling two-on-one on Sullivan does not make for an interesting content in the slightest. Um, I will give them points, though, for alluding to the blood feud that was Benoit and Sullivan. Even yes. though it's a feud that no one wanted, at least they're still, you know, telling that story and it makes sense. Which at least, at least there was one entertaining match in that feud. 
Yes. I still like that Falls Count Anywhere match. And, and this version of the Giant, the big show, is my favorite, just young show. Like, he was so good off the bat. Yeah, promo work wasn't great, but the guy's look, like, he literally did look like he's from another species. He's this giant man. He's in yeah. great shape. His hair is fantastic. Um, and, you know, when he's not doing the weird voice and he's just being the big booming voice that he is, that is intimidating shit. Yeah. But, but, I, I, you know, very many times on this program have talked about how I'm not a fan of the big show, but this is my favorite version of the big show. Because this is Captain Insana. Yes. I mean, this is Captain Insana. You I, look at him and you're like, that is Captain Insana right there. I think they trademarked it. I think there's a solid chance that if they ever do like some cro- weird crossover shit that like, he could come out as Captain Insano. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think I think Paul White, the giant, like does own the rights to the Captain Insano character. I, think, I, I do remember seeing something about like a... a trademark filing a while back like if they weren't so stuffed to the brim with talent i would absolutely be here for like a random like captain insano match as like a kind of like a, a toro yano match just like utter like silly stupidity pure wrestling Brother, nonsense you just you just booked a match for forbidden door <laughs> uh i i i you know like they've got they've got the big show signed to AEW. doesn't really do a whole lot i don't really know why he's there most of the time it would all be worth it if we get Captain Insano versus Toriano at Forbidden Door. Fuck, that now I do be, need it. Shit. <laughs> that is a five-star fucking classic if I have ever heard one in my life. Oh, man. Every now and then again, my God, I got those ideas. You, you know, every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Something comes out of your mind and it's a hit. <laughs> it's either like, zero out of ten or ten out of ten. There is no in-between. It's yeah. more frequently zero. A lot of times, it they are you say these things, and I'm like, that is so fucking stupid. But then you you think of something, and I'm like, holy shit, that is fan fucking past. We're still waiting on our Bobby Lashley Chris Masters tag team WWE. When you're gonna do that shit? You stole yeah, Butch from I, us. I I have been thinking about that tag team a lot recently. <laughs> I have been thinking about that a lot, and I still love it. All right, so it is now. Main event time after this long, shitty match. It is what is being dubbed the hostile takeover match. The outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, were promised to be joined by their mysterious third man, taking on the defenders of WCW's honor, Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger. We have this long video package going through the uh, whole angle just say that uh, the art of vit wrestling video packages has uh, progressed over the last 25 years. Vastly. Who is the third man, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to find out. We have Michael Buffer doing the announcing. He says, a group of outsiders have threatened the sanctity of WCW in a hostile takeover. Hall and Nash come out, just the two of them wearing red and black. And it's just the two of them. The third guy is not with them. A very confused mean Gene hits the ring and he gets a mic and he asks Hall and Nash, where are your part? Where's your, where's the third man? Where's your guy? Scott Hall says, all that you need to know is tonight he is here and he is ready. Kevin Nash says, we've got enough to handle it right now. Just the two of us. W said, you guys hit the ring and we're going to start it out three on two. Very early on that gets knocked down to two on two. 
because we do a stretcher spot with uh, Lex Luger. Lex Luger gets inadvertently hit with a stinger splash while he's in the corner on the apron and bumps to the floor and I guess hits his head or whatever. Um, and they do a stretcher job. Uh, and so Luger is out to even the odds, uh, two on two. And they beat up Sting for a lot of this match. Uh, we have, you know, Sting fires up huge on Hall, like, immediately. Um, tags in Randy Savage. They, they cut him off. Nash tries to, they, they have this awkward spot where Nash tries to do, like, a jumping elbow. And Savage is supposed to move out of the way, but he moves out of the way too late. So Nash ends up landing on him anyway. Uh, but then he, like, gets up and he tags Sting in. Immediately cuts Sting off. They beat up Sting for a while. Um, they put Sting in the abdominal stretch for a while, which we love. Um, at one point, they, I, I love how fucking rabid the announcers are against the NWO. It's like, these guys are, you know, they really sound like these guys are outsiders threatening the sanctity of this company that we love, that, that employs us. Uh, Savage gets a chair, and Shivani and Dusty are, like, openly screaming at the referee to let him hit Kevin Nash with the chair and just, like, let him kill Kevin Nash. Like, they are braying for blood here on the commentary desk. Um, uh, Sting fires back. He, I love when you get a hot tag, like the big tag where, like, the guy doing the tag like, has to jump over the heel, and he gets, we get one of those with Sting. He, like, jumps over Kevin Nash to tag in Randy Savage. Crowd, big cheers for Macho Man as he uh, tosses Hall out, beats up Nash, hits an axe handle off the top to the outside, then one back into the ring on Hall. Then behind the referee's back, Kevin Nash hits a low blow. Down goes Macho Man Randy Savage. And it's at this point where shit gets fucking real. Because here comes the Hulkster, the top babyface in WCW, the biggest name in pro wrestling for the last 15 fucking years. Hulk Hogan wearing the red and yellow walks down the ramp. And Hall and Nash, they powder out of the ring as Hulkster gets in there and he rips his shirt off like he has so many times. The cheers of the crowd. And then he turns around and he drops the leg on Macho Man Randy Savage. Hulk Hogan is the third man. He high-fives Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They throw Sting out. They throw the referee out of the ring. He leg drops Macho Man a couple more times. Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. They do this. The match is officially thrown out at this point. It goes down in history as a no contest. Uh, But we have the spot where Hogan drops the leg on Savage three times and he pins him. And Scott Hall does a three count on Savage. People start throwing garbage into the ring, like a lot of trash into the ring. This is getting instant, huge fucking heat. Mean Gene gets into the ring and he says, Hulk Hogan, what in the world are you thinking? Hulk Hogan is out here to cut his first heel promo in about 15 years. And it is one of the great promos in the history of pro wrestling. Um, He says, this right here is the future of wrestling. This is the new world order of wrestling, brother. He says, these two men, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they came from up north. They came from another organization. Everyone was wondering who the third man was. But who knows more 
about that other organization than me, brother. I made these people rich, and then the name Hulk Hogan got bigger than the WWF. And then billionaire Ted caught, promised me movies and millions of dollars and world-caliber matches. As far as he goes, as far as Eric Bischoff and WCW goes, I'm bored. That's why these two guys, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, these are the guys I want as my friends. They're the new blood of pro wrestling. We're taking over the wrestling business. We will destroy everything in our path. By this point, there is so much fucking trash in the ring. Like, the heat has intensified that, like, the ring is littered with fucking garbage. Um, he says, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. I did everything for the kids and the charities. And the reception that I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. Eric Bischoff would still be selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And all these other boys in the back, they wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world when they were still bumming gas to get to high school, brother. What you gonna do when the New World Organization, he calls it the New World Organization, <laughs> he hadn't figured out the name yet, I guess, runs wild on you, brother. The only flaw in that promo is him referring to it as the New World Organization. Only flaw. One of the, fr like, when you talk about, like, you know, um, like, the what, what we now come to know is, like, the work shoot promo, right? The shit, like, the CM Punk pipe bomb and the fucking, you know, the MJF fire me mark promo. Uh, eight. There's nothing, nothing on the level of this. This is just way more consequential, meaningful, uh, historically significant, and just, I'm sure, unbelievably fucking mind-blowing at the time to watch oh, this happen. Insane. Especially when it's, it is Hogan. I mean, this is like the equivalent of, like, John Cena doing this, but, like, times ten. I don't think... Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, who Cena would do this with. Because I think, like, the most recent comparison I could think of that would have made total sense and would have gotten a shit ton of heat would be if CM Punk wasn't hurt, him and FTR just going full heel saying, without us, you guys aren't half as good as what you have. We give you the legitimacy. Even that, even that. Even that's not half uh, as good. That's nothing because this was, this was out of a real – I mean, like, again – you have to think back to the time, 1996, you know, the internet exists, but there's not this, like, necessarily, like, you know, nowadays, everyone is so informed as to what is going on backstage, right? Mm -hmm. There are people who legitimately thought that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall had been sent by WWF to ruin WCW. Like, people legitimately thought this at the time. Yeah. Because they didn't know, they, people didn't have the understanding of how fucking wrestling works backstage. And didn't have all this knowledge all the time as to, like, everything that's going on on the business side of wrestling and what these wrestlers are doing in their real lives. Like, and then, like, you know, the fact that they're cutting this promo about, like, shit that is actually, like, happening, like, in real life in terms of, like, their contracts and, like, what they're doing and why they're in WCW talking about WWF in a WCW promo that is shit that didn't fucking happen before, before this angle. And it fucking exploded people's brains. A hundred percent. Like whenever you can blur the lines of, in of reality and pro wrestling, 
it makes for tremendous content. It's why the MJF angle right now is like one of the biggest stories and we're like still waiting for the fallout of it. It's why the pipe bomb is so iconic. But this yeah. is like that first instance of blurring those lines, of yeah. breaking the fourth wall. And, you know, yeah. Ho- Hogan promos were always the same thing, tired and cliche. But the Hogan had this megalomania about him where every word he is saying he believes to be true. And that is a mark of a heel, not a face, which is always why face Hogan never clicks with me and why heel Hogan always does because heel Hogan is true Hogan. That is really who Hulk Hogan is. It's also what Hogan thinks. And so when he comes out and cuts his promo, I'm just like, this makes so much sense. The guy that constantly wants to be adored now realizing he doesn't need to be adored. He just has to be a winner and everything else doesn't matter. And I'm like that. Yeah. Perfect. Just win and make money and be the guy. Oh, man. That's this all he's ever cared about in his life. At the end of the day, that's the only thing he has ever cared about. This this angle, it's like my apartment. It's hot. Hot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this really, like, yeah, it taps into why did the MJF thing resonate so much with people? And why were people going so insane about that at the time? It resonates in the exact, like, it taps into why people care about this, care about this so much. Like, in a world where we know that wrestling is fake, right? Everyone knows that wrestling is fake. This is like the last true way that you can work someone. Like, this is the last way that you can really work someone and make someone believe, like, wait a second. Is this for real right here? Is MJF actually begging to get fired on TV? (laughs) Is Hulk Hogan actually like, is the WWF actually invading WCW here? Because they always like, that was was a big part of this angle, at least early on when Hall and Nash showed up, is that them implying, without ever actually saying, but implying that we were sent from up north to take over WCW, right? Mm -hmm. This is the last like bastion of like, how you can really fucking work people in pro wrestling, like actually genuinely work people. And that's why it hits so hard. And then, yeah. And because Hulk Hogan was the most white meat fucking guy in the world. I mean, he was the top babyface in wrestling for 15 years. The idea, it was, it was like a Cena thing where you kind of, at, at a certain point you figure, you know, it, it, you talk about it the same way as you did with Cena. Like, Man, he would have been great as a heel, but it's just never going to happen at this mm-hmm. point. He's been a babyface for so long. He's just never going to happen at this point. And then it fucking happens. And it just is such a shock, you know? Because you never, you know, like at a certain point, again, you reach the point where, like, just don't think it's ever going to happen. It's why wrestling's great, because wrestling, at, wrestling at its peak combines the best parts of like action sport entertainment like you got all those things but with that right sprinkle of reality show television drama and whenever and it's happening right in front of you you're not watching it on tv you're not like you're not off in some remote area where no one's watching you live wrestling is happening right before a live audience and when you can blur those lines so efficiently with that level of entertainment and sports there's nothing like it. It is the best soap opera you could possibly write. Yeah. And Hogan absolutely cuts fucking heat in this promo. I mean, it's, again, all these work shoot promos, 
that we've seen. None of them live up to this one. None of them live up to this one. It is pure fucking heat. I the the Eric Bischoff will still be selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. Huh. Fucking buried. That's a devastating. The one about the uh, kids in the back bumming gas to get the high school. Devastating. I mean, my man Terry Balea was on his shit that night. Um, two like I think underappreciated things about this segment that I love. The first one, and I, I do hear people talk about this a little bit. When Hogan first walks down the ramp, Bobby the Brain Heenan saying, well, whose side is he on? Which isn't like, which could be viewed as like, Heenan may be like kind of cluing you in like, oh, Hogan might not necessarily be here to help baby faces. But it could be viewed that way. But then you realize like the whole time that they were in WWF, he always did this shit for Hogan. Heenan was like always insisting for years and years and years when Hogan was in WWF that Hogan was actually a bad guy. And you could hear him sometimes drop the whose side is he online with Hogan when he would come to the ring in WWF in a situation like this. And then Hogan, of course, would always do the, the virtuous babyface thing. But it was after all these years of Bobby Heenan insisting to everybody that would listen that Hulk, Hulk Hogan was actually a fucking bastard. He is proven right Bobby the Brain Heenan was a baby face this whole time. <laughs> it's like the end is near sign. And then the other thing I loved, just like a classic, like, uh, like, uh, view into the smart mark experience. Everyone in that arena is going ape shit, throwing trash into the ring. Like, ama- like unbelievable fucking heat. Except for one dude in the first row <laughs> who was wearing an ECW t-shirt, standing and fucking applauding for everything. <laughs> That's us, baby. I was like, I, I feel like I knew that guy personally. Ah, oh, man. I fucking loved that guy. Pure pro wrestling. There's nothing yeah. better. And thus begins the NWO. The NWO angle that changed pro wrestling forever. I mean, I, I don't think it can be overstated just how fucking big this was for pro wrestling, how big it was for business WCW and you know, the, the effects it had on WWF and ushering in this, this huge boom period and bringing us to where we are today in pro wrestling. And who knows what would have happened if they hadn't completely fucked up the ending of this angle. And uh, then it ended up stretching on for like 12 years. But this is a moment that will be replayed probably for like ever for wrestling. Hulk Hogan turning heel, dropping the ball. Fucking did it, that son of a bitch. So, our two and a half marks, Angelo. My negative half mark, it's going it's negative out of principle, but honestly, it should be positive. It's throwing trash in the ring. So, in every instance, you should not be throwing trash in the ring. Because when you throw shit in the ring, you could hurt somebody. Uh, you could have someone twist an ankle if they're trying to do a move. Like, you shouldn't be throwing crap in the ring. That said, at the end of the show, for this giant heel turn that no one saw coming, having that trash in the ring really helped sell how big of a moment this was and how, like, visceral this reaction was from this crowd and how huge this moment is. Like, obviously, you have the commentators who are playing this up and they did a great job of playing it up perfectly. But again, they can't, they know what's going on. 
the fact that the crowd doesn't and they react in this way is just man it really helps sell it even further it's just a great look as he's cutting this promo as his trash is coming in and it's not like anything damaging it's just paper cups it's some popcorn bags like there's nothing really that you could hurt somebody with and that kind of makes it all the more perfect is because it is that safe level of fan interaction that you don't have to worry about a lawsuit with. So it is a negative half mark out of principle, but it really did help sell the entire moment. My one mark, it's going to baby faces with a cause. Whatever it is about the 1990s, having just a pure white meat baby face who's just like hungry for a good fight, they don't act as stupid. And today that you just have a lot of dumb baby faces, but like, with Savage, Sting, and Luger all championing a cause for WCW, their power level was astounding whenever they were on the screen. It was insane just, like, the importance of those three guys and how over they are and just, like, how much of a crowd favorite they were. They just don't make baby faces like they used to. Like, Drew, if Drew was doing the same thing he's doing now in the 90s, he's over like or over. But because it's 2022, it's a little bit cliché. Mox is probably the closest thing to a true new babyface right now. And that even him, he's kind of a tweener. He just hits everybody and wants to make everyone bleed. Not necessarily babyface tropes, but like he's the most close to guy that will never be booed ever because people love him. So yeah, one mark for babyface with the cause. I agree with that. When I, when I think about that, I'm like, who is like the one person that like you can say, like no matter what they do, will probably never get booed ever. And it's John Moxley. John Moxley could probably murder somebody in the ring. And then my two marks, it's going to go to going to keeping reveals secret. That's the thing that makes the Royal Rumble great. It's what makes this payoff so great is that it's kept under wraps. Obviously, yeah, if you're a smart mark like us, you're reading the dirt sheets. You're trying to get every piece of information ahead of time so you know what's coming up. But like being a casual fan and getting these surprises like yeah. – you, it, it's hard to get because when you have those happen in your life, they're truly magical. Is at that point you don't you don't care enough to really keep up with it, but you care enough to watch it because it's hard hard with wrestling in today's age to be a casual fan who's not following dirt sheets and the news like that because they're either guys like us who are super obsessed with it and try and follow it from every outlet, or you're a guy who's like, yeah, there's nothing else on today. Let me throw it on. Or you don't watch it at all and you think wrestling's dumb when you're wrong. That's okay. Uh, so it's hard to kind of find those moments. But whenever you do have that moment that surprises everyone or the majority, it's just something to behold. And there's nothing else like it. Yeah. It's funny when you go back and actually like like read shit around like um, what people thought, who people thought the third man was going to be. Like, yeah, I, I, obviously, as Sam Meltzer reported a few weeks before that, it was going to be Hogan. But like... A lot of people thought, like, like just fans, like, most people, I feel like, thought it was going to be Shawn Michaels. Like, they had, like, like Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash had, like, kind of two-sweeted each other on TV, like, across their shows, like, a few weeks before. Like, and people were like, yeah, Shawn Michaels is the third man. He's the fucking third man. He's going to WCW. It's totally Shawn Michaels. People were so, like, a lot of people were so fixated on the idea that it was going to be Michaels that... When it was Hogan, you know, it, it fucking got people hard. I've already talked so fucking much about the angle at the end, the New World Order, all that shit. Organization. The New World Organization of Wrestling. That instead, I'm going to give my 
two and a half marks out to ranking negatively ranking the shittiest uh, gimmick matches from the show. <laughs> I'm going to give my negative half mark to the double dog collar match because again, what like if you're going to do a tag team dog collar match, it doesn't really work to have just like two separate pairs of dog collars. Like oh, like one guy is you know affixed to the other guy and vice versa. You need to have some sort of massive contraption. You need to have some sort of like, like, like they are all like there is like a center ring and all four guys are like hooked into this ring. And it's like a quadruple dog collar. You need to get your engineers on the fucking case and and create some kind of unholy mechanism that will lead to one of these people dying. It should look like something out of Impact or Yu-Gi-Oh. Yes. Um, it should look like a medieval torture device. Like, I, like Johnny Grunge should have ended up in a fucking Iron Maiden. <laughs> uh, negative one to the taped fist, just because I don't understand the point. Like, what is the taped fist doing? What? It, how is it supposed to, like, augment you in any way? Like, is it going to make you punch harder? Because I don't think the physics of that really work. Unless you're doing, like, uh, again, like, you're, you're fucking doing that like CZW broken glass or like fucking uh, like, you know, dipping them in fucking plaster or something. What, what, what the fuck's it going to do? How's it going to hurt more than a normal punch? It doesn't make any sense. Average guys just tape their face. Like there are guys, like Kevin Owens has his face tipped, uh, fist taped every match. Yeah. So should that be illegal? Should Kevin Owens be disqualified from every match because he's illegally taping his fists? Doesn't make any sense. To me. And then negative two, the Carson City Silver Dollar match. Because, I, I don't know, maybe I wasn't following the, the angle between uh, Big Bubba and John Tenta in 1996. But A, why a Silver Dollar specifically? B, what, what does Carson City have to do with it, considering we're in Daytona Beach, which is thousands of miles away from Carson City? Why, why specifically a Carson City Silver Dollar? Like... Is that a special kind of silver dollar? Did they make silver dollars in Carson City? Uh, is this is a type of match that they would have in Carson City? And also, if you're doing a, a pole match, why are you doing it between two guys who are like combined <laughs> 800 pounds? And if you're going to do that, why is the pole 30 fucking feet tall? Just very, very poorly thought out by everybody involved. <laughs> Oh, so, man. that will finish our coverage. WCW Bash Beach, 1996. So, for the last order of business, I'm going to hit the fucking randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next week on the podcast. As I pull this up, Angelo, what are you looking for? I would really like something a little bit more modern. Uh, while the payoff was great, the Carson City Silver Dollar match alone dragged this pay-per-view down. Well, if by a little more modern, you mean by about eight months or so? I guess it's technically modern. Ding, ding, fucking ding. We're going up to February of 1997. WWF In Your House 13 Final Four. That sounds like a lawsuit. Yeah, well, yeah, and it, it wasn't even in March either. It was, the, it was Final Four because they were the Final Four of the Royal Rumble that year. Um, it is... A fatal four-way elimination match for the WWF title. 
Bret Hart, Stone Cold, Vader, and The Undertaker. We got some uh, star power in the main event. That's a lot of star power. We got a young Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus a young Rocky Maivia. Okay. For the Intercontinental title. We get a couple guys making their debuts on this podcast. We get a Leaf Cassidy singles match. Ladies and gentlemen, we got some good shit coming. So, yeah, next week, WWF in your house, 13 Final Four. So, for my good friend, Angelo and Lisa, my name is David Staffan. Thanks, everybody, for listening.